Uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. And if you get out your sheet uh, with the notes on it, you can see the verses we're going to start hitting in order. But Colossians 2 is the main place. But what we're talking about, if you haven't been with this, is the whole idea of connecting to God. Now, now, why are we saying that? Well, we were in, in before, we started out the year in what we call level four living. And level four uh, is this. Level one is where you're asking, is there a God? And you're asking, does he love me? And is it real? And how do I know Jesus is true? And you tune into that. And then as you're asking that question, you would finally come to a place, we're hoping, level two, where you say yes to Jesus. And you embrace him into your life. He embraces you. This is where conversion takes place. And you do that by saying to him, I really want this, Lord. I want the forgiveness. I want the healing. I want the love. And you open up to that. Then when you do that, you move to level three. And level three is where you connect with God. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. How do I connect with God in amazingly deep ways? And then in level four, what happens is this is where I'm at a place. And it can happen quickly. Where I say, you know what, I am sold out. It's not my will, but your will be done. I want to be God who you created me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me. That, the most amazing life you could ever have. Now, when you really say that, it makes level three more incredible. Because now, what happens is we begin to tune into God in amazing ways. And God's desire is for you to have a very real relationship with him. And so what happens, we saw last week, is that Jesus said the greatest desire God has is not only for you to love him, but for you to know him. And in the fact, he knows you, and you truly know him, and you interact and relate with him. And so how do we get better and better in tuning into God? Well, the answer comes down, there's these things we call the disciplines. Now, now we saw uh, last week, though, that everything that we do needs to be done born out of a heart for God. And, and what I want you to grab hold of is this, is the disciplines are wonderful when they're used correctly. When they're used to enhance your relationship with God, enhance your connection to Him. But they're, they're not good when you use them incorrectly. And so what I want to talk about today is, is called Don't Make That Mistake. Yo, sometimes in life, we all make mistakes, yo. Just don't do Some people make mistakes, some bigger than the other. Like confusing your old girlfriend's older sister as a brother. Just avoid mistakes. Listen to me, boy. Here are a few examples you just gotta avoid. You drive around, you see a girl that's cute. You get her number, that's your next move. She walks on, but drops her phone instead. You think you're in reverse, but you hit her head. Big mistake, 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 Another big mistake happened to me yesterday. I was skipping on the sidewalk when I saw her far away. I offered to walk her across the street, and she said no. I asked her again. But she just said no. When a woman just says no, it doesn't mean yes, it just means no. She screamed for help, so I let her be, but she pulled out a bat and started beating me. From a bad pinata party to tripping when you run, from falling on your face to even firing a gun. Trampoline mistake, old lady mistake. Kanye West. Some mistakes are huge, so big they're called fails. From a bad stunt to landing on your tail. Diving board fail, soccer guy fail, 
I-G. I love those guys. They are so creative. Well, you don't want to make that mistake. And it can actually be uh, uh, funny if it, it's something, you know, more lighthearted. But it could turn into something tragic if we're not careful. Origen, one of the early church fathers, was born in 185. And what happened is he actually came to a desire to live his life completely sold out for God. He wanted to be everything Jesus would want him to be. He was doing that at a time where it could cost him his life. And he was so, so committed that he thought, I don't want to hold anything back. Well, one of the struggles he fought was with lust. And then what happened is he misunderstood what Jesus was saying in Matthew 19, 10 to 12. So not uh, 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 what Jesus was saying, but he thought at the time it was, Origen castrated himself. Now, he found out later that wasn't what he should have done. You think there's a problem here? And that's true, he really did. He actually found out it didn't stop the problem with lust, and then he came to a more correct understanding of Matthew 19.10, and he was like, okay, that's not what this teaches, but it was just a little bit too late. Uh, what we want to say today is that we want to not get in the, the wrong areas. We want to stay in right focus with God. And, and so that means that here's where I'm going. We've got to have a balance. Uh, you need to have a very, very correct view of God. You have to understand scripture in context and correctly. And you've got to have a balance that, that, that takes on the inward and the outward in the right ways. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to have that kind of an attitude. And the problem we have today is people can get out of balance. There are people today who think that they'll grow closer to God because they, ca- they practice what's called corporal mortification. Now, what that means is they do things to their body thinking that will make them closer to the Lord. Uh, Beating themselves, piercing themselves, even some being crucified with nails driven through. And they think that somehow that's going to get them closer to God, and it doesn't. Uh, And you and I would almost for sure say, well, that's demented, and that's wrong. There's another group, a more widespread group of people, who think that if they're legalistic... And they have all these rules and do's and don'ts. And they're quick to point out to people, well, you can't be close to God because you, you, you know, wear this or you go to this theater or you watch that TV show or you eat this or you drink this and you don't have the right day down. And, and, and there are all these reasons why. But, but what it comes down to is their own traditions and their own legalism. And they think that that's what's going to make someone more holy. And there's kind of, they put themselves as the holiness police, running around trying to to make sure everybody lives the lifestyle they have chosen to live, or they believe God wants them to live. But the problem is that is just as demented, and that is just as wrong. Now, where we're going is this. If you and I are going to connect to a holy God, we got to do it his way. I I want to say this, and I'm going to guess you're going to agree with me. Jesus doesn't need our help in figuring out how people get holy. We don't need to add to it. We just need to cling to what he says. 
And, and we need to make sure we've got the right balance. Even a well-intentioned person could put themselves in a bad situation. I uh, one night was uh, walked into a decision counseling room and saw a college girl sitting there. And she just was broken and crying. And I said, are you okay? And she said, no. And I said, well, tell me what happened. And she said, I uh, met the most amazing guy. And, uh, I mean, he loves God. He's committed. He, he wants to, to serve God with all his heart. And she said, that's what I've been praying for and looking for. And, and then what happened is last night he called me and he asked me out. And I said, well, what's wrong with that? She goes, well, two weeks ago, I made a vow to God that I wouldn't date for one year. <laughs> now, I'd even seen them interacting together. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I looked at her and I said, why did you do that? She goes, well, I just want to be so close to God. And I said, but okay, wait, I know you want to be close to God, but why would you do that? She goes, well, I just feel like I've got to just be so in tune with him. And I said, wait a minute. Jesus said not to vow. James echoed, do not vow. Don't you think Jesus knows what will get you close to him? You don't need to take this on. She goes, well, I was just with my friends, and we all thought it would be a good idea, and, and I just felt moved to do it. And then I said to her, let me ask you something. Do you think there's a, that, that moving you felt inside, rather than being God, do you think there's a chance it was the devil? Remember Peter one time, he got all mixed up. And Jesus had to say, I rebuke you. I said, think about this. Do you think there's a chance that God, your heavenly father, was about to bring this guy into your life and Satan prompted you to do something God deep down didn't want you to do? And she was like, oh, oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, what do I do now? And I said, I have got good news for you. In the law, it says that if you make a vow as a young girl that God didn't want you to make, you can go to your father and your father can overturn it. You need to go talk to your dad. She was like, oh, and she rushed out of there to be with dad. You know, and, and, and here's the point. God doesn't want you to do those kinds of things. When we talk about fasting, I don't want you to misunderstand how we fast and why. When we talk about Sabbath, I don't want you to misunderstand how it's used and Why? When we talk about meditation and, and how you meditate, it's not to bring you ever, ever into a position where it's just boring and sad and, and burdensome. Remember Jesus said this, Jesus in John 8 verse 32 said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's why I want to talk about this today. When we get into the level three things, I want you to understand it's to enhance your connection with God, not to place burdens upon you. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people were so struck about how they had violated God's law and purity in his ways. And they're crying and they're mortified inside and, and they're, they're not sure what to do. And Nehemiah and all the leaders get up and say, what are you doing? Stop. You know what you need to do right now? Now that you understand God loves you, even though you've come up short, you need to throw a feast. You need to eat of the fat. You need to drink of the sweet. You need to send portions to people who don't have as much as you. Why? For this day is holy to the Lord your God, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Now, do you catch where he was going with that? He said, I want you to know where true holiness is found. Not in beating yourself up. Not in what you don't do. As a matter of fact, he said, I want you to do something else. I want you to go out and celebrate God's love. And I want you to give to others. And, and I want you to understand that in that kind of joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to think about that whole idea of joy and not let it go. Because it's going to come up again and again when we look at scripture in balance. You see... We need to understand that God is not the God who looks at you and says you never measure up. Now, I, I know that there probably are some of you who were raised in a home where you just never could be good enough. I want you to know that's not who your heavenly father is. That's not how he looks at you. He looks at you and thinks that you're so incredible. He couldn't love you more than he does. Does he have hopes and dreams for you? Oh, he does over and over again. But I want to tell you this. There's, there's not one thing you could do to earn his love. He just loves you so much it's already there. And you know what? That is not who God is. We don't do what we do to earn his love. We don't do what we do to earn his acceptance. All of the acceptance of love was bought at the cross but through Jesus Christ. That's what you cling to. And, and why do we do what we do? We do it because we love him and because he loves us. And we do it because we're accepted in him. And that becomes huge to understanding the balance. I hope you're in Colossians 2 with me. Paul is writing to the Colossians because he's so concerned for them. They're veering off and believing that it's going to be based on works that they're going to be in a great relationship with God. As a matter of fact, a group of people have started teaching this. And they've started telling them that they have to keep certain days and not partake in other days. Because, oh, if you go to that festival, God isn't going to love you anymore because that's not of God. And, and you better stay away from that festival. And you can't eat this. And you can't drink that. And you can't look at this. And you can't touch that. And, and they're starting to mount up all these things. And Paul, Paul, listen to what Paul says about that in Colossians 2 verse 16. He says, therefore, because Jesus loves you, the therefore, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to a food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He said, if you keep the Sabbath, then, then no one should judge you for keeping it. If you don't want to do a Sabbath, no one's going to judge you for not doing it if they're right. Uh, uh, he says, don't let anybody judge you. You decided to go and participate in this holiday event, don't let people judge you for it. You decided, no, I decided not to do it because I feel like I'd be better off with God. Well, then fine for you too. He says, but don't let anybody think that that's where holiness comes from, in the doing or the not doing. He goes on to say this in verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels and taking his stand on visions that he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And, and here's the key. But not holding fast to the head, who is Jesus, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The only way we're going to grow in holiness is being an attached to God. And it's not by what you don't do. And, and, and he says, don't let anybody defraud you of that. I, uh, I, one of my dearest friends, his family said that it was evil to have a Christmas tree in your house. And presents. Now, I, I don't know where you found that in Scripture. Anybody see there where it says, now that you're a believer, you know, throw rocks at Santa Claus, burn the Christmas tree, you know. No, seriously, I, 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 this poor guy, for years, 
Then he got into high school, and uh, he actually was somewhat popular, but his, 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 the, the church they went to said dancing is sinful. You're not to dance. And the reason you're not to dance is because it incites all these pleasures and lusts, and you have no way to hold yourself back from it. Therefore, because the Bible says you shall not dance, well, do you remember that part about you shall not dance in Scripture somewhere? Or was it in Ecclesiastes that says there's a time to dance? Or in the prodigal son where the, the son comes walking up and the father, what was he doing inside? He was singing and dancing. See, but my friend, no, he wasn't allowed to go to dances. And, and, and then, oh, you know, he decided that he, 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 he wanted to go to a movie so bad, but no, the movies were evil. By the way, it was interesting. TV was okay in their house, but movies were evil. And if a show was shown at the movie theater and then shown on TV, then somehow it got holy and he could watch it. But he couldn't go to the movies. Do you understand where I'm going with it? Do you see how, how, wait a minute, why? Is that God? You know, there was a time the church taught that if a woman wore red, she was, a, she was literally an abomination to God. Just the color red. Some of you women in red today, I'm sorry. Oh, wait, you work for us. We gave you those shirts. No, we gave the, <laughs> we actually put you in red, huh? Yeah. I'm sorry, but tonight we need you to come forward. And No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, can you believe that? And, and the reason was that only a prostitute would wear red. Therefore, clearly God would never want a woman to, wait a minute, where's that in the Bible? By the way, who made the color red? You think it was God? And, and all of a sudden, we think we can become more holy. And here's what he's saying. Don't let people defraud you of being able to enjoy life and share in life and, and love life and have amazing experiences based on their, their twisting of things. Based on their own, you know, supposed wisdom. That's what Paul says. And notice what he goes on to say in verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch? Which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Not of God, of men. Verse 23. These are matters which, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom. Oh, they can make it sound so good. It appears wise, but in self-made religion and self-abasement and self-treatment and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, God doesn't need our help. Uh, he knows how to cause us to be holy. He knows how to keep us safe. He knows how. And, and here's the thing we need to understand. When we're doing it right, then what comes out of it? Well, joy, not mourning, but joy and peace and righteousness. I mean, in freedom. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And so when I get into these, the reason I'm sharing this today, I don't want you to go, oh, okay, so well then I got to fast, and, and, and then that'll make me righter with God. Well, no. No, that's not the point. When you understand fasting, it's about tuning in. Now you say, well, all right, I'll do Sabbath, and that means I won't work. You know, I heard a rabbi say this. He said, if you think that the Sabbath is not about working, then you must think that Thanksgiving's about having a day off. Now, now think about that. I don't know about you. On Thanksgiving, I don't go, oh, I got a day off. I think, no, dude, I get to eat. And, you know, and see, that's the whole point. When you understand even Sabbath, it's not about what you don't do. And matter of fact, when Pam and I understood what you do on Sabbath, oh, man, you talk about moving. Now, you don't have to. 
But I want to talk about we, how when we have the right heart and we have the right motives and we have the right motion based on the right motives, it enhances our relationship with God. It doesn't take away our joy. It doesn't take away our freedom. And that's why in Romans 14, Paul's talking about people who said, well, you have to keep the Sabbath or you're not holy. And you can't eat this particular kind of meat or you're not holy. Or you can't. And Paul says, you know what, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking or not not eating and drinking. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, did you catch how that word joy keeps coming back up? In other words, if it doesn't cause us to be a joyous people, a loving people, a kind people, if it doesn't cause us to understand the amazing love of God, well, then we've missed it. Uh, hopefully you're, you're following on your notes. And if you turn to Micah chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 6, I want you to see something. And, and here's where we're going. God is not pleased with outward sacrifice. He is pleased with inward obedience. God is not pleased with outward sacrifice. He is pleased with inward obedience. Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And, and, and the answer, it's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No. You know, is, is there a time for a burnt offering? Yeah, but do you need to do ten thousand? Does that make it better? No. Uh, all the oil, no. And you know what? I blew it, so do I have to offer my firstborn to be forgiven? No. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You see, the, God says, what I, I, I want you to do is I want you to love me. And I want you to share life with me. And you know, he goes, should I give my firstborn? Now, what is he thinking back to? A Abraham gave Isaac. So do I need to now sacrifice what I love the most? And the answer is most likely, almost always, no. Soren Kierkegaard, who uh, uh, was one of the most famous philosophers ever, uh, when he was 21 years old, he met Regina Olson, who at that time was 14. He fell madly in love with her. Now, he knew only at 17 would she have the right to marry. And Kierkegaard actually wrote out a very intentional plan to win Regina Olson to be his. Now, she was already somewhat promised to Fritz Schlegel, her boyfriend. And so what happened is Kierkegaard befriended Regina. He befriended her boyfriend, knowing he was about to backstab him. <laughs> and he befriended her family. And he was already famous at 21. Over the next three years, his fame would grow. And his family would be more enamored with him. And so now what happens is Regina, mother and father, are just like beside themselves that they get to know Soren Kierkegaard. I mean, he's like, you know, a, a celebrity in his day. And, and and Regina is just so amazed at him. And he was very, very careful never to rush the relationship. It was friendship, 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 friendship for three years. And then when she turned 17, he began to turn it up a notch. And he began to romance her. A little bit of flirtatiousness here. A gift there. A look there. Uh, just enough being said. Oh, he was smart about how he did it. And then when she was 17 years old, he looked at her and said, I want to marry you. Will you become my wife? She was beside herself with joy. Her father and mother could not be quick enough to give their blessing. And her father was one of the elite of society. So he threw a huge 
uh, a party to announce the engagement and to have literally the elite of the elite of that area of Europe there. On the day of the party, Kierkegaard breaks off the engagement. He goes to her and says, I'm sorry, I can't marry you. She's devastated. She's crying her eyes out, wanting to know why. Her father is so mortified by this, he literally gets on his knees, on his knees, and cries and begs Soren to change his mind. He says, you can't do this to my daughter. You can't do this to our family. You can't do this. Why would you do this? And his answer was always the same. God told me I can't have her. As a matter of fact, he said, quote, God vetoed our relationship. And just as Abraham had to be willing to give up what he loved most, he goes, I love Regina more than anything. I've never loved anyone as much as Regina. Therefore, God wants me to give her up. Well, he was so heartbroken over what he did, he fled the country. He stayed away for almost three years. When he came back, he was sitting in church and he looked over and there's Regina. And she turned and smiled at him and nodded her head. And he was so filled with love, he got up and ran out and stayed away a couple more years. For God. And then what happened is she became engaged to Fritz and got married to Fritz and he came back. It was about a year after she got married that Soren Kierkegaard realized something. And he said this, God never wanted me to give her up. She's the love of my life. And he actually wrote this in his journal. If I had had real faith in God, I would have married Regina Olson. The rest of his life, he was, she was his only love. He wrote about her again and again. And then when he died, he bequests most of his estate to her. Fritz at this time is the, the Danish ambassador to the Virgin Islands. And so all of a sudden, all this stuff starts arriving, including all of his journals. And she opens them up and begins to read how much he loved her. Out of respect to her husband, she kept that private. But then after Fritz died, she shared his journals with the, the world. But she also said this, I loved Soren Kierkegaard every single day of my life. Why did they miss out? Why weren't they together? Kierkegaard said it. If I had had real faith in God, I would have realized I can have Regina as a blessing. If I had had real faith in God, I can have that kind of joy in my life. And see, here's the point, is, is there is a balance to this, and we don't want to lose that balance. God's great desire is that we understand. It's, it's all the things that we're experiencing, and the things we do, by the way, and don't do, we do. Out of, uh, to enhance our relationship with him. Are there some things we don't do? You bet there are. The Bible's clear. You don't get drunk. That's not going to help you and God be close. The Bible's clear. You know, you, you don't get involved in sexual immorality. You know, the, the Bible says that that's going to ruin your relationship with him. You aren't to put anything above God in your love. But that doesn't mean you can't love other things or other people with amazing passion. And by the way, when you do it right, it just makes life better. And, and it makes you freer. Uh, Pam is actually out on the patio today, but I want to tell you, when we got married, we, we, we said no to something. We said no to dating other people, and I want to tell you, it's made our relationship better. <laughs> but I don't walk around going, what a bummer, I can't date someone else. You know what, and so it, here's my point. Are there some things you say no to for God? You bet there are, but, but, but we need to understand what's going on here. God's desire is What? Now, before I go on, I want you to think about this. God's desire is what? Well, it's Micah 6.8. That you do justice, and you love kindness, and you walk humbly with God. In, in the Garden of Eden, Adam blew it. 
And it says, God came in the cool of the day to walk with him. And he cries out, Adam, Adam, where are you? I wanted to walk together. I wanted to be together. See, when we talk about all of this, it's all about walking with God. It's about this amazing connectedness with him. And and God's desires that you and I would have that and not miss it. That we would understand that's what he wants for us. Uh, If you're following your notes, I want you to jump to Mark 12, verse 32. But as you're turning there, let me remind you that Jesus, looking at the Ephesian church, said this. He said, I know who you are. I know you have amazing knowledge of me, and you study the word. I know you have works beyond compare, and you work so hard for me. I know you'd risk your life for me. I know you challenge heresy for me. He said, but it all seems a little empty. Why? He goes, because you've left your first love. You, you don't love me like you used to. And even though you have the right motions, you're missing the emotion that goes with it. And, and, and I just want to know why we don't love each other like we did. God's desires for you to love him. That's why in Mark 12, verses uh, 28 to 31, he's asked by a scribe, he says, Lord, what is the greatest of all commandments? And what is it that God wants? And, and Jesus said, it's the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your might, and with all your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And notice what the scribe says starting in verse 32. The scribe said to him, right teacher, You have truly stated that God is one and he is one and there is no one else beside him and to love him with all your heart and with all understanding and with all strength and to love one neighbor as himself, now don't miss this next line, is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He goes, you got it. It's it's that love of God that makes all the difference. In other words, I I hope you're going to love the idea of what it means to fast. But you know what? If you fast once a month and someone else in here doesn't, you still could have the same vibrant relationship with God. And you might say, then why are we going to do it? Well, I'll tell you why when we get to fasting. Now, what about Sabbath? You know, some of you may never, ever plug that in. But, but, But you love God every single day. And you might say, then why are we going to talk about it? Well, because it helps you tune in. But it's not about the fact that I kept the Sabbath and you didn't, and that makes me more holy. It's not about the fact that, you know what, you fasted and I did it. And I know a lot of you are looking at me going, no, you haven't been fasting much, Chuck. Uh, but that, you know what, that doesn't make me more holy. It's not about, by the way, it's not about that this, this guy said, I'm never going to date anybody and, and, and the other guy goes, oh, man, no, I love that God, you know, made girls. And uh, uh, it doesn't make one more holy. It really doesn't. It, it's the heart and the focus. Now, you might say, well, does that mean that I can just go do anything I want? No. I mean, clearly, there's a balance here. And intelligence tells us that. It, it tells us if there's real emotion for God, there is going to be some motion. If there's real love for God, it means that we're going to say no to anything that would hurt our relationship with him. And and see, the key is that we would understand that disobedience isn't okay because we love him. Now, if you haven't gotten there, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. But while you're turning there, remember last week we looked and Jesus said this. Jesus said that if you, you are my friends, if you keep my commandments. In other words, how do we enter this friendship with God, this intimacy with God? He said, that's who you are if you keep my commandments. In John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And this is all about really knowing God. And, and the idea of keeping the commandments is to understand we can't be violating those important things and have a relationship with God okay. So much so, are you ready for this? This is where we're going. Disobedience affects our prayer life. Disobedience has a, con- a consequence that ruins prayer. It's not going to be the prayer it should be. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12 says, When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? He says, why did you come to church today? If you're not going to be right with me, why did you come? Well, why'd you walk across that patio? Why'd you walk in the building? That's what he says. He says in verse 13, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. He says, you come on Easter, and I'm going, oh, why are you here? And you come on Sunday, I'm like, why are you? God, God is saying that. Why? Now, don't miss it. It's not, not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. It's because he does love you. And, and then he says this in verse 15. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered in blood. He said, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. I just can't do it. I can't bear it because you don't want to live with me in right ways. Because deep down inside, you don't love me enough to, to join with me in, in the kind of life I want you to have. He says, so I can't hear your prayers. And you're mean to others, you're selfish, you're you're doing things that hurt you. I just can't have that. Verse 16, though, he calls out in love, wash yourselves and make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove ruthlessness. uh, ruthlessness. Um, Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, the Lord says. Let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat of the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, don't miss what God is saying. He says, if you come and you're right with me, I am going to bless you like you can't believe. You're going to eat of the best of things. Your life's going to be an amazing joy. You're going to find a peace that passes understanding, joy that's not ever able to be quenched, justice moving in your life. And he says, it's going to be an amazing time if you want to come live that way. So he says, let's think about this. Don't you want this? And I'm going to answer your prayers. So let me ask this question. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer? Can you say honestly today, man, I'll tell you what, it's amazing when God and I talk and we connect in deep ways. And you know what? He's answering this one and he's answering this one. And I watched this happen and I prayed for this and I got even more. And because if not, I want to say why. God loves you. He wants this for you. And so what we'd have to ask is what would be impeding your prayers? What would keep them from being what God wants them to be? Well, we know of one thing. Disobedience affects prayer. It affects prayer. Now, the other thing I want you to grab is disobedience affects praise. Disobedience affects praise. In Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, Amos is going to talk about that. And he says this. God says, quote, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your flatlings. 
Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an overflowing stream. He says, I want justice and I want righteousness and I want you to have it right. He says, but you know what? If you're not, I'm not going to listen to your praise. So I ask a question. How was your praise time today? I mean, when you were singing to God, when we were singing a song like, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, did you just sense God inhabiting the praise you were pouring out? Did you sense him touching you? Did it almost go beyond who you are? I mean, because if not, I, I don't know why. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. One of the reasons we praise God is we connect to him in a deeper way than we ever had could before. And as we throw out praise to him and we open up ourselves, it ought to be, oh, but if not, if not, why? What could be keeping you from connecting? You see, God desperately loves you. God passionately loves you. God's great desire is for you to experience that kind of love. And, and he wants it there for you. And I, I hope today you'd say, you know what, I want it too. Now, in other words, we're saying that, you know, outward sacrifice without inward obedience is meaningless and worthless and without love and affection. On the other hand, the question is, is there a place for sacrifice? Well, in balance, there is. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For he who would seek to save his life will lose it, but he who would lose his life for my sake will find it. Yes, there is a place, but we have to understand the balance of it. We only do what this truly requires in context. And, and, and we understand that it's not in the, the motion, but in the emotion that's attached to doing things with God that makes it incredible. For instance, it's not the idea that I, I fast and I don't eat food that makes God and I uh, uh, closer. It's the fact that I've retuned a portion of my life where I'm tuning into him and I'm sharing more intimate time with him. That's when fasting works. It's not that, you know, the fact I, I decided from Friday sundown till Saturday uh, sundown that I'm not going to do any work. No, it's about do I spend an amazing time with God and share in prayer with him and, and thank him for what's going on. And, and, and here's the key if you haven't caught it. The works are meaningless if they're not done with God. But when they're done with him, and not for bondage, for freedom, when they're done with him, it creates an amazing, intentional experience. And that's what God wants for you. He wants to be your father. He wants to share life with you. So there is a time that we do that. Now, we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But before we end today, I want to ask this question now again. How's your prayer life? If it's not moving and powerful, I want you to know he loves you too much. He wants it. How's your praise? And if you're not experiencing, oh, he wants that with you. But, but the most important question aren't, aren't even those two. It's this, how are you and God doing? Do you know his love? Do you know how much he cares for you? Are you living in a very real relationship with him? And if you're not, I want to promise you this. He wants it more than you know. And how do you enter it? Well, the answer is, as you say to him, Lord, I want it. And we're about to go to a prayer time, and in the middle of the prayer time, I'm going to lead a prayer where anybody here today wants to whisper a prayer right where you're sitting and say, God, I want to give my life to you. I'll say a line of it and let you think about it. And then I'm going to ask you just to whisper the words. 
And what you're saying to God is, I want you. I want your forgiveness. I want healing. I want you, God, to, to fill me with your spirit and help me be everything you want me to be. If you've never done that before today, I hope you do. We're also going to say, if you at one time used to be very close to God, but for some reason you're not. Maybe the worries of life. Maybe there's fear. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody, but some reason, maybe it's something you've done and you've hurt others. I want you to know God loves you and he wants you back. He would always want you back. And nothing would cause God more joy than for you to say, God, I want back. And and so today, if you need to pray that prayer again, I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I know there's, this is all about love. It's all about the love you have for us and the love we have for you. May we be a church family that loves deeply. That we open our hearts to you and you pour it into us. And God, we know that we want to be people who who love justice and and love kindness. and, And we walk with you and share with you. And God, may we grow in the depth of what that means constantly. The reality of it. And Father, I want to pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come. That you would touch everybody here, but especially especially those who need to say yes to you or come back to you. That they would know this is their moment in time. They would know how much they matter. I pray, God, right now for the the, the person who's sitting there. and, And two or three years ago, they thought everything was great. And right now, it just almost could not seem worse. And uh, they want their their life back. They want their kids back. God, I pray today that they understand you want them back. And they're going to say yes. I pray for the person here today, Lord, who's just felt so lonely. And wondered if anyone noticed or cared. and, And God, you do. And I pray right now that they would want, they would want you knowing you want them. I pray, God, for every person here who needs to say yes to you or come back. I pray you'd stir inside and you'd help them. Right now, I'm going to lead that prayer. And if you want to say yes to God or you want to come back to him, I'm going to ask you just to whisper it with me. So just get ready to do this. If you want this, he wants you. Just say these words right where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live because I'm yours now and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.